So we, you know, we're back, uh, back in our study in Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the faith family portrait. And uh, I've really enjoyed this study. I hope you have as well. Uh, it's neat to kind of see the history of Israel, the nation of Israel, if you will, progressing through this study. Uh, we will be talking uh, about the, the, the clunkiness in some, some relationships and some interactions. There's a little bit of a clunky situation today. Um, and, and so I pray that uh, we, we embrace that, that clunkiness. And, uh, you know, the, the awkward family photos are going to rear their head again. So, I'm, I, Tina, I'm going to need you to explain uh, this awkward family photo. Um, <laughs> That's my daughter, Danielle, on her first birthday. And we wanted her to have a picture with her friend, so we shoved her in the picture. But Danielle was obviously screaming her head right. off. So we just shoved her friend times. in the picture so we could have a little picture of her. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's good. You got to laugh at stuff like that. the The friend is like, "What are they doing yeah, to me? I don't even know what's going on. This is scary." Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure the hat choice is the best for the birthday. I realize it's a birthday party, but it kind of comes across a little dunce hat looking to me. But to be honest, but, but we laugh at these things. This is great. Yeah, no, it's all good. That's why there's sometimes they're awkward. Times times change. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea why I picked that. Times change. No, it's all good. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's awesome. So, I, what's the what's the friend? What's the friend's name? Heather. Heather is just. I love the look in her eyes, though. It's just great. It's like, I think she looks a little like satisfied. She's got that like slight. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. So again, our hypothesis laid out on your your papers I've done each week uh, is really around that ministry relies on these relationships uh, and uh, therefore practical lessons are to be learned from the relationships uh, of those. And I just realized Matt and Carla don't have uh, a And so... You know, the relationships that we've seen kind of peripherally out of Hebrews chapter 11 and the related stories are, I think, really, really insightful and in how we can apply those relationships into our own uh, lives and the relationships around us. And, and, you know, so no man liveth unto us, uh, none of us liveth unto himself and no man dieth to himself. And so today's lesson is going to be Jacob and wisdom in the blessing. So uh, you know, by way of story, this is, is Jacob and Joseph. They're in Egypt. Um, you know, Joseph has um, Ephraim and Manasseh as his, as his kids. And, uh, you know, we're going to look at this. But literally, Jacob in this kind of moment of clunkiness, purposeful from his perspective, but a moment of clunkiness from Joseph's perspective, blesses the kids in an opposite direction than Joseph was expecting. And so... You know, we're going to talk a little bit about that clunkiness. We're going to embrace that a little bit today. But, um, you know, I was thinking about today's message specifically. You know, there's some messages that are um, that are, are really sweet and really like dessert. And there's some messages that are more like meat and potatoes. And this, I think, is a more meat and potatoes kind of message. And so, uh, you know, hopefully that, that resonates with you all. Uh, I don't, 
you know, I don't want to set up to, you know, I don't want to set it up as any kind of bad message because I think it's from the Lord. But, but sometimes you just have to have some, some meat and potatoes in the word. And, and I do think um, that's what we're looking at. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 47. Genesis 47. And, and so while I do that, I'm just going to put the Hebrews 11:21 verse on the screen. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Uh, and worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. And there's there's a couple of things going on here relative to the blessing. Obviously, he's he's on his deathbed. He blesses his grandkids, uh, the, these specific grandkids. And there's this reference about worship leaning on the top of his staff, and the the fact that it's it's kind of left over from his his struggle and his wrestling. Uh, with God, but go ahead and turn again. You're there, probably Genesis uh, 47. So we're got to do some some the we're going to do some process of the blessing, right? So there's there's we need to set the stage. We need to kind of bring up to this point of blessing. So we're going to have some chunks of scripture that we're going to go through kind of quickly, and then we're going to talk about this confirmation. He wants to confirm the kids that are in front of him. There's an intimacy in the moment that we're going to look at. And then this wisdom of the father in deciding to bless the kids in the opposite concept that, again, that Joseph would think and talk about the general versus specific blessing. So this is just an overview. So setting the stage, Jacob's request to return home. So in in Genesis 47, pick it up in verse 27 obviously toward the end, and Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years toward the end of his life. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. So 130 years uh, in the promised land was brought over, obviously, uh, with Joseph after he reveals himself to his brethren. Uh, In verse 29, And the time drew nigh that Israel must die, and he called his son Joseph and said unto him. So it's interesting because before the blessing of the kids, he calls just Joseph, and uh, he calls his son Joseph and said unto him, Now if I have found uh, grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. Uh, so obviously he's of the lineage of, of uh, Abraham. He wants to be buried uh, in Israel or what the, the, the nation, the, the promised land, the area that would, that would become the nation of Israel. Uh, but I will lie with my fathers and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. This is a very specific desire of a man who's who's uh, appearing the or uh, reaching the end of his of his earthly uh, earthly ministry and earthly body and he said I will do as thou hast said and it's interesting because ultimately Joseph can't fulfill this this prophecy he can't fulfill this this promise because it's not till many laters or many years later rather that Israel obviously leaves uh, when Moses is uh, is in charge and and we know the story there and he said swear unto me and he swear unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. So, so this is a very interesting time. Jacob wants to go home. He wants to be buried back in, uh, you know, I'll, I'll refer to it as Israel. It's not 
called that yet. It's the promised land in Canaan, technically. And, and notice as it continues, but we're going to skip a few verses. Notice Genesis 48 in verse 7. And this is, I think, gives us a little bit. He wants to be with his fathers, but also he says, As for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when, uh, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. Um, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. And so, you know, this, this concept, I mean, he's glad to have been with his family. He's, he's, he's certainly glad he's in Egypt and protected from the famine and the years of the pestilence and those, those types of issues. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but he clearly wants to be buried back in Canaan. He clearly wants to be with his forefathers. He wants to be in the land where his wife is buried. And this is a this is a special time. This is a moment that they're having. And um, and it's it's really important for Jacob to go home. And and so so again, just setting the stage. And then Jacob prioritizes his past blessings. So as we now look at the verses that I skipped, and uh, 48 and verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, probably some sort of servant, told Joseph, behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob, <clears throat> excuse me, and Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee and will make thee a, uh, a, of thee a multitude of people. And I will give this land to thy seed after thee uh, for an everlasting possession. So again, there's a component of wanting to be buried back with his forefathers, a component of the promise and, and I guess, you know, uh, uh, understanding and making uh, good on the, the promise of God of being in that, that land of possession. But ultimately, it's really important that Jacob, in this moment of his interaction with Joseph, in his deathbed, in the, in the moments of in, intimacy with Jacob, or I'm sorry, with Joseph, that he references the previous blessings of God. He is literally passing that blessing, not physically on, but he's pa passing that story on. And I know that, uh, you know, when, when we were dealing with the loss of my mom for, for uh, you know, as, as she was, you know, er, nearing her, her time, you know, ending it on earth, it was important to go back through pictures and to get the stories and to understand them and talk about those things. Um, this is, you know, it's very personal for me to to, to kind of sense this uh, story with, you know, re being relatively, you know, uh, you know, recent in in our in our family's, uh, you know, past. And and this is a very intimate time where where Jacob is communicating to Joseph his specific desires and saying, don't forget how God blessed me. And that promise of the possession of Canaan now is going to come on to you and your brothers and ultimately your sons. And again, we'll get there. So he prioritizes in this story this blessing, how God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. That's not, that's not an inconsequential thing. 
not too many people have had that actual kind of interaction with God, even in the Old Testament when he dealt with men like that. That's very, very special. And then he does something that's kind of interesting. He imputes inheritance to the boys. Now, imputes, I I specifically chose that word, imputes. So to impute is to put on someone, okay? To take something and to put it on them and give it to, to them. So we are imputed, those of us who are saved, who have asked the Lord to forgive us of our sins, to, to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, he has imputed onto us righteousness. We don't deserve righteousness. He imputed that to us. And in a similar parallel way, he Jacob imputes inheritance to the two boys. So Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Israel. Or Jacob, but Joseph is not going to get a tr- uh, get land in in uh, or get a, an area a designated area in the land of Canaan. The two sons are going to. So he literally takes the inheritance that is Joseph's and he transfers it or imputes it over to his two sons. So that would make thirteen, right? If there were twelve, Joseph one of them. Now you have two. That would make 13. Well, there's actually a substitute there because the sons of Levi, the priests, they don't get land. So this is the way to still have 12 tribes with designated areas in the land of of Canaan, yet with one of the tribes having the Lord God be their inheritance. Okay, so this substitution is pretty important. It's important in the big, long picture of the nation of Israel. We don't really have time. That would be several, probably several weeks or maybe a whole class in LFBI talking about the tribes and, and, and how they divvied up and the transition. And even they go all the way into the book of Revelation. We don't have time, certainly, to look at that. And it's not really under the scope of what I want to look at with the relationship structure here. But Jacob imputes the inheritance. And, and look at this in Genesis uh, 48, 5 to 6. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in e- into Egypt, are mine. So this is literally the same kind of transition or transfer of relationship that Jesus does on the cross with Mary to John. And he says, Behold thy mother, behold thy son. He is literally transferring the relationship. And he, Jacob is claiming Ephraim and Manasseh as his sons. Now, they're his grandsons, but he's substituting Joseph out and Ephraim and Manasseh in. And that's really important. And it's not because Joseph did anything wrong. Some people would actually, uh, I think, uh, attribute something of that. You know, his time in Egypt or the number two in the nation or something. I I don't, uh, you know, I've not heard uh, great arguments to that end. But this is a blessing of Joseph. And he supersedes, Jacob supersedes Joseph in transferring that, that, um, that inheritance. And he gives it to the two boys. And he says, in thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. So any other kids that you've got, any other offspring that you got, they're going to fall under their brethren. 
there's not going to be a tribe of Joseph. There's going to be a tribe of Manasseh, and there's going to be a tribe of Ephraim, and any others, any other siblings, they're going to fall under their, their brethren. Okay? And again, a big deal. It's an intimate moment. That would literally be like, you know, someone who's, who's uh, you know, under hospice, on their deathbed, changing their will. Literally amongst the people while they're sitting there. And of course, back then, they wouldn't have had wills and, and those types of things. But I can only imagine the tone that it sets in Joseph's heart and his mind relative to the fact that he now knows there will no longer be a tribe of Joseph. There will be, a, he, he's a smart man, he gets this. There will be a tribe of Manasseh and a tribe of Ephraim. So he, Jacob imputes this inheritance uh, to the boys. So now we've done this, we've looked at this, um, this process, the kind of the set, setting of the stage and, and really want to jump into the, the nature and the meat of our, of our lesson today. So there's the first is this confirmation. It's this confirmation. Now I think there's, there's a little bit of irony here. So if you look in verse 8, and Israel um, uh, beheld Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them, Joseph brought them near unto him, Jacob, and Jacob kissed them and embraced them. Now, I mean... So, so he's literally sitting on his deathbed. He literally is replaying the same story that we looked at last week. He's where he was the deceiver, right? He puts the wool on and he's... So literally he now is in the other seat. And I, the irony, I mean, Genesis 27... Uh, verses 1 and 18 and 19 and it came, verse 1 it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him my son and he said unto him behold here am I jumping down to verse 18 and he, he Jacob came unto his father and said my father and he said here am I who art thou my son and Jacob said unto his father I am Esau Thy firstborn, I have done according as thou bade'st me. Arise, I pray thee, sit need of the venison that thy, that thy soul may bless me. So literally, he is reminded of his own deception on his deathbed of what he did to his father. And what? Did, but but it's very very interesting because he said, "Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them." Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him. And he kissed them and embraced them. And I think this is really important because Israel or Jacob knows his grandkids. He knows his grandkids. And I, I would be willing to bet that there is an intimacy here because he, he thought he lost Joseph. Right? For years he thought he lost Joseph. And now he's in, in, is, is in Egypt for 17 years. He gets to see these kids born. He gets to be around his, you know, his family is preserved through, through famine. The, his, his family is protected. He certainly knows them. And we'll see that his brain is not dim, 
but his eyes are. And it makes me wonder if he's more acute, more aware of his goings-on than maybe those would, would, uh, would attribute, right? His eyes may be dim, but his brain has not dimmed, okay? And he kisses them and embraces them. And this really reminded me of John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And this intimate relationship that, that Jacob has with Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh is by definition a different relationship than Isaac had with Jacob and Esau. It's fundamentally different. And I can't help but think as he grew, as he, Jacob, grew, he remembered that moment that his own dad didn't recognize his voice. That his own dad didn't recognize, and I'm, I'm going to be a little graphic, his smell. I don't know if you do this with your kids, but I can tell Michelle has a smell. And I mean that with all the love and that, I can, that I can muster. When I hug her, if my, yeah, and it's most of the time pretty good. Most of the time. But, but I literally can tell the difference between my kids by the by if I were to close my eyes and hold them I my eyes are dim by by picture and I hold them I know them I know them and Jesus says that about his sheep my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me I can't help but think that Jacob knows his grandkids and probably knows them or at least put emphasis on the relationship that he did not have with his father. I've always thought it interesting, and I intentionally didn't touch on this last week, that, that, is, or that uh, Isaac couldn't tell the difference between his kids, and he only, I mean, he couldn't even tell the difference between Esau and some sheep hair. Now, maybe it was because his mind was in a different place. The nature of his death might have been the body and his, his ability to process sensations and those types of things might have been different. But, J, but J, uh, Jacob, in this situation, his mind is very smart and will, or very sharp, and we're going to continue to see that. So there's this confirmation that occurs, and that's an important aspect. This brings us to our first relationship rule for the day. The best relationships are those where you can trust and know each other. He trusts, Jacob trusts Joseph. There's no concern that he's going to do a dupe and a switch here. Jacob trusts Joseph. Jake, Joseph could have left his brethren behind. He could have left his father behind. He had every right to be mad <laughs> about the fact that they sold him into slavery and all the stuff that happened. Yet he brings his family there. His family's important. Jacob, Israel, trusts Joseph. He trusts that Ephraim and Manasseh are those grandkids, that there's no dupe and switch. And the best relationships that we have are those that are built on trust and that intimate knowledge, okay? So now we'll move to the intimacy of the moment, which is the next point. The intimacy of the moment in verse 11, pick it up in verse 11. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. Meaning, I thought there was going to come a point when I thought you were, yeah, I thought you were dead. I didn't think I would ever see you again. And lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. So as a young man, the report came to me that you were dead. So I actually thought I was never going to see you again. Now I get to see you. 
but I also get to see your seed. I mean, do you see the intimacy of the moment? Like, there, he, I, I don't know if tears were flowing, but it's an intimate, intimate moment. And Joseph brought them, look at this. Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the, to the earth. So literally, Joseph, or I'm sorry, Jacob is sitting on the side of the bed, the scripture says, right? He's sitting on the side of the bed. And these two young boys are brought up to him. He embraces them and kisses them. It's a very intimate moment, right? As, as, as many grandkids would in the moments before, before their grandparents pass away, right? I certainly remember those, those moments that, that my kids and, and their cousins had with my mom. Like, this is a very intimate moment. And <clears throat> look at uh, Genesis 37... Uh, well, and he, and he bowed his, himself with his face to the earth. So literally, after the boys are removed, he, he prays. Genesis 35, uh, 37, 35, And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. And thus his father wept for him. His father wept for him. So um, there is this intimate moment that goes on when you can connect like this, when you can when you can be that close to each other, and even as you look at holding children as a as kind of a special moment, right? In Matthew 18, uh, two three, Jesus called unto him a little child or a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as a little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And in Genesis 50. Now, later in the story, 23, Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, um, the son of Manasseh, were brought up, uh, up upon Joseph's knees. So it's like um, not his, his grandkids, but his great-grandkids are brought. I mean, those are special moments. Those are very, very intimate moments. And for Joseph to take them out from between his knees. That's not any kind of act of pulling them away. It's to allow a moment of worship. It's to allow a moment of remembrance and reflection of the blessings of God and an intimacy of the moment. And and I don't know how, I, I kind of struggled with the wording of our relationship rule number two today, but I just put it the way I did. Intimate moments flow from intimate relationships. Do not be afraid to embrace these moments. Do not be afraid to embrace them. A few weeks ago, my brother, one of my brothers and I are cleaning down in my dad's, uh, my parents' basement, and oh my gosh, it was just, ah, right? The amount of work that we had in front of us was crazy, and my brother was clearly feeling the emotion, and I'm, uh, I, I say I'm, I'm emotional, but I probably handle my emotions a little better than he does. His tend to flow out. And I just stopped and I gave him a hug and I told him I loved him. And it was a little bit clunky. It was a little bit clunky, I'm not going to lie. We were both filthy and probably could have stand not to rub dirt and dust and stuff all over each other. And, and you know, I'm not sure it was exactly what he needed, but I needed it. Like, I needed that moment. And I'm really glad we did it. Like, I'm really glad we just embraced for that moment and connected because it needed to happen. And I think... <clears throat> a special Bible, especially Bible-believing kind of fundies, fundamentalists, and those that are, 
you know, a little less, a little less um, in tune with our emotions. We tend to be stoic. We tend to be, you know, Bible thumper kind of folks. We tend to shy away from emotion. I think we do ourselves a disservice. God certainly gave us emotions for, for reason. And I think we need to embrace those moments. And I'm trying to do that more with people, just to look them in the eye and say, I really appreciate you for being you. I really appreciate our relationship. You matter to me. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about you. I love you. I, I you know, hug you or what, whatever it is to communicate that. Because, and in part, these not embrace or not being afraid to embrace these moments allow the, the communication to flow, Right. And instead of leaving a vacuum of communication and people wondering where the relationship stands, I'm trying to just straight up own it. And I think that's important. And that happens here with Jacob and Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so then we see the wisdom of the father. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand. And brought them near unto him. So literally, and I, I thought about putting a picture on here. You have some room on the back, on the bottom back of your page. If you want to draw, uh, uh, you know, I thought about putting a, a little uh, drawing here. But, but imagine, so Jacob is sitting here. Joseph comes and brings them up, right? And according to the scripture, Joseph took both Ephraim in his right hand. So Ephraim would be... Joseph with here, Ephraim here, which is toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, which is toward Israel's right hand. Okay? So Manasseh is the oldest, so he would have the right hand of blessing. Very symbolic, very symbolic. But look at this. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head and lay, stretched out his left hand and laid it on Manasseh's head. Look at this. Guiding his hands wittingly. And that's why I still think his brain was with it. Wittingly. This is not... The word would be different. It would be by chance or uh, as it were, as it came to pass. Like this is, this is very specific scriptural words that he did this on purpose. So I'm going to propose a question to you. Why do you think... The second was important to Joseph, I'm sorry, the, the important to Jacob, rather than the first. Because he was a second. <clears throat> he received the blessings. So literally, I'm going to back up. I know you should never do this in a PowerPoint. I should actually put the picture again. <clears throat> but we literally see this clunkiness after this really cool, intimate moment. We see this clunkiness of blessing. Now, I think I've shared, I, I think I've shared this with, with you all. Uh, I know I've shared it with some of you all. When my mom actually took her last breath, she, you know, she, she continued to decline in her breathing. And, and uh, it was hard. You know, my dad cups her hands, uh, his hands around her face and tells her he loves her and and she breathes her last breath, and, you know, we're crying, and, and uh, he, he says he loves her. And then mom, so typical, Michelle was there, so typical of my mom, takes one big, huge last gasp after my dad. Like, she always had to have the last word. 
She always had that last word. So literally, after we thought it was done, she takes one more big gasp. And, you know, I don't know if God allowed it just to be that way, but we laugh, right? And, and in, this, in this incredibly intimate moment, incredibly difficult moment, there was this wonderfulness, right? And I can't help but think there was this clunkiness associated with this. But Joseph... Joseph, it's actually, it actually says in the next, um, and jump down just a little bit in verse, um, in verse, uh, verse 17. And when Joseph saw his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. Dad, you're making a mistake. Like, I can see that playing out, right? And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. You're confused, Dad. You don't, you're, you're not seeing the kids clearly. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. And this clunkiness leads to this blessing. And I know I jumped ahead a little bit, but it leads to these blessings and to this charge. And that's the nature of what's going on there. The blessing we saw last week, the difference between Jacob's blessing and Esau's blessing wasn't necessarily that much, except the nature of the people that they were. And in this case, this blessing, according to Matthew 19, um, then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked him. But Jesus said, suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. There was actually a blessing that happened. In Numbers 27, 22 and 23, Moses did as the Lord commanded. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and gave him a charge. So the blessing and the charge is very similar in this moment. Very similar that these kids are going to receive a blessing, but they're also receiving a charge, okay? And, it's, and, and again, I know I jumped ahead a little bit, and, and again, it might be a little clunky, but this general versus specific blessing. In the general blessing, he says, The angel which redeemed me from all evils, or evil, bless the lads, both of them. This is the general blessing, and let my name be named uh, on them, right? This is the continuation of that imputed inheritance that we talked about. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So literally, the the, the lads, the blads, or the blads, that's what you get when you bless lads. The blads, (laughs) the blessing of the lads, and the combination, let them grow into a multitude, This is a general blessing. He wants his grandkids, who are now basically surrogate kids, right? He's elevated them up to receive the blessing from technically Levi and Joseph, kind of taking the replace of those, those uh, taking the place of those tribes as mentioned before. This is a charge, right? This is the general blessing to both of them, and as we've already read. Joseph realizes the clunkiness of the hands, wants to fix it. Jacob says, no, I know what I'm doing. I know it, my son. I know it. And look at this. And he also shall become a people. Both of them are going to be blessed. 
and he shall um, and he also shall be great but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his seed shall become a multitude of nations so it's interesting because Ephraim and Manasseh I mean they're not lineage of of Jesus right I mean they're up lineage is of Jesus, but it, Jesus didn't come from either of those tribes. So this is not a kind of prophetical spiritual uh, blessing. This is a very physical blessing. And so the second, the younger is greater. And I put deja vu, right? right? I mean, the second is the one receiving the blessing. But, blessing. but go ahead and turn to uh, Deuteronomy 33. Go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 33. I'm going to read Numbers 1, 33 through 35, but just bear with me. And those that were numbered of them, of the tribe of Manasseh, were 40,500. Okay? And then th those that were numbered of them, even of the, of the um, I'm sorry, of Ephraim, were 40,005. So 45,000 in Ephraim. And of the tribe of Manasseh were 30 and 2,200. We see in the future numbering of the tribes that Ephraim is a bigger, just has more people in it than Manasseh's tribe. And then in Deuteronomy 33, his glory is like the firstling of his bullock. His horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth. And they are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. So literally, Ephraim ends up being a bigger tribe based on this swapped clunky blessing. And you say, well, what does that really matter? I mean, does it really matter that there's more kids and more people in one tribe than the other? I would actually argue not necessarily, right? I mean, there's clearly a spiritual blessing in play there. There's clearly, um, back then, volume mattered, right? You didn't want to travel alone. You traveled with a group. You, you, you know, people had, in some cases, lots of wives. In some cases, the more kids, they felt like they were blessed of God more, all the different things. I actually would argue that that in and of itself is not the intrinsic blessing. The intrinsic blessing was the general blessing but notice our relationship rule number three. Trust the perspective of the wise. In this case, Jacob, even when your expectations are different. So as Joseph brings these kids, he wants to fix his dad's blessing. He wants to correct his dad's blessing. And his dad is like, no, I know what I'm doing. So trust the perspective of the wise, even when your expectations are different. And sometimes wise are counselors like pastors or, or actual counselors that give you. Sometimes they're elders. Sometimes there's people that are, have just had that experience and lived through it, maybe, or see it from the outside. Sometimes we're in the midst of a situation and we kind of can't see past the situation. We're kind of in the fog of a situation. But just having somebody give some counsel from the outside is wise. The, trust the perspective of the wise, even when you're, uh, doesn't mean you have to wholeheartedly buy in, but just trust it, right? And so we'll close with this uh, verse out of Joshua 16.4. Now notice Joshua conquering the land, Joshua 16.4. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. There is actual land designated in the nation of Israel for Manasseh, 
for Ephraim that are surrogate, they've had that imputed inheritance, they take possession of the land. Don't don't hesitate. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what was going through Joseph's mind when he felt like the, the dad was getting the blessing backward. Like, I'm sure he just, like the only thing I guess, I, I can't even imagine, the only thing I can imagine, probably is a better way of saying it, is this guy's losing it. He's, he's on his deathbed. He's just not in his right mind. But I can't, that, 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 I know the feeling I get when somebody corrects me in that moment where you're, you're, like, you're, when you're, drops into your gut, you're, like, your, your emotions fall hard into your stomach. This blessing was very specific. And this blessing we see actually played again, not in Hebrews 11, but we see this blessing play out again at the end of Joseph's life when he's going and he's blessing uh, different people and, and, and his kids and things like that. And it is amazing. I, you know, it is the end of life situations are very, very special. And don't run from them. Embrace them. The Lord allows those situations in our life. They're hard. They're not easy. But when you embrace them, when you, when you, and I can't think of another word other than just grab them in your hand and hold on to them dearly, they will be a blessing. And in this case, they ended up being blessing for generations, uh, generations. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we saw in the, in the man of Jacob, really the clunky blessing from his father and the deceit and yet the very purpose blessing that he wanted to pass on and the and the surrogate nature of Ephraim and Manasseh and how Joseph doesn't get a tribe and that's okay because his kids do and so lord i you know i trust that as you work those things out that you've taught each and every one of us something about relationships today, something about the intimacy of those relationships, the, whether it's the end of life situations or whether it's the, the nature of, of, our, of how we can come to you as our Father and work in us and how we need to trust in you. And, and as you, you know, even as I have two boys, as you work in their lives, I need to trust that you have the perspective that I can't, that I can never have. And I need to trust you for that. And Lord, I just thank you for each and every per- person that, that you know, hears this message, that you're at work helping them build their relationships in their life, helping us understand how you are at work for the long game, the eternal game. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.